Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name is Tom Ravlick. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. Australian small business is doing it tough. And it hasn't been as tough as it is today. Victorian business is even doing it tougher because of the complete lockdown across the metropolitan area that has been ordered by the Victorian State Andrews State Labor Government of Daniel Andrews. Premier Andrews has uh, decreed, following health advice, that there ought to be a further lockdown of the state in order to try and further suppress any cases of COVID-19. What is the future for small business and how small businesses are going to cope in the next little while will be critical. Joining me for this podcast is Peter Strong, the Chief Executive Officer of the uh, Council of Small Businesses of Australia. Peter and I have dealt with each other for a great many years. He provides us with some insight on how he believes small business will go. Also, we touch on advocacy and how uh, lobby groups are able to deal with issues with the government and the few issues that he thinks ought to be handled. I pick up the conversation with Peter when we talk about the actual um, difficulty businesses have in terms of trading right now. Some are doing well, some aren't doing so well, and others are big enough to trade straight through. Well, well, you just described it. It's a a mix. There are some businesses who um, are going better than normal uh, due to the situation, but it doesn't mean they're not in stress. It's an interesting thing because they know it's all going to come to an end and they've got to work out what to do. So you've got some of the butchers out there. Their sales are up 30%, and the reason, of course, is that Nobody's in the cities, they're all out in the suburbs. So um, they're going to the local shops, and that includes um, butchers. Um, pharmacists out there are going okay in the main. Um, you're seeing bookshops, and you know, I come from the book industry, Tom, and bookshops in the suburbs again. It's not a, not a terrible story. Um, but in the, in the CBDs, you've got a, quite a different story in, in shopping malls. So if you're a news agent in the suburb, you're probably going okay. Actually, you're probably going very well. If you're a news agent in a shopping mall, you're probably closed. If you're a pharmacy in a shopping mall, there's probably no one going past your doors. So it depends where you are, but there are some good stories out there. Um, you know, we're hearing about businesses that have, have that, that word pivoted, don't we hate that word, that have changed, that have changed, Tom. They haven't pivoted, they've changed. They've, they've taken advantage of something or seen an opportunity and they've moved on. They've undertaken a metamorphosis. That's it. That's I, I like perhaps pirouetted, perhaps pirouetted, Tom. So um, you've got that happening. But as you said, we've got zombie firms out there that are surviving for no other reason than JobKeeper. You've got people, and particularly in hospitality and those areas of tourism, who really and um, who really are struggling and are not sure where to go. And a lot of them are very good. They've written. Their business plans are various versions of the business plans, but it's a bit hard to know what's going on. You can only do the best you can. You can plan and say, well, if I open up and I can only have half the number of people in, this is what sort of turnover I need. Does it mean when JobKeeper disappears that I can stay open? I don't think so. And then you've got others that, um, I mean, it's an awful story, that opened up, they got their their um, their product in, they got some... Um, uh, um, products that are going to rot. What are they called again, Tom? They're called... Uh, um, perishables. Thank you, Tom. So they've got their perishables in, their avocados and things like that, and bang, they're closed down again. Now, that's, that's going to test them out for at least a day or two as they've got to get their head in order. They've got to get over the shock, the distress. 
They've got to talk to their families. They've got to talk to their staff. All the things that come with it. And that that's what we're seeing. And people are so resilient, they will bounce back. We all know it's going to finish. But gee, we need governments to step up, as they have been, as they absolutely have been, step up from the economic front and make sure we stay open and those that should stay open do so. You're, a, as you said earlier on, you're, a, you're someone who's run a bookstore uh, and you would obviously have contacts in the book sector still. Yep. What are they telling you? Well, I'm still on the Booksellers Association board. Uh, and as I say, look, to give you an example, the Collins book selling um, franchise, right? It's a really good franchise. Look after each other. It's a proper franchise the way they should be run. Their um, flagship shop is the Hill of Content in Burke Street in Melbourne. Beautiful, beautiful bookshop. I think it's three or four stories. And it's a beautiful bookshop. And they had to close it because there's no one in the CBD. So it was losing an awful lot every month. But the books they had out in the suburbs and out in the regional areas are fine. So I think my understanding is overall that the, the, the Collins chain have done all right. So that's a really interesting thing. If you're in the city, you are in trouble um, because there's nobody there, as we know. Whereas in the suburbs, and this is the beauty, this is the beauty, Tom, of pharmacies and news agents and butchers and things like that, that we've kept open out in the suburbs in, in spite of the fact that some big businesses wanted to close them all down and move pharmacy into their into their duopoly, etc. What we've seen is our societies continued to function in many, many ways because people were able to go local and get what they needed and do it safely. The other thing, I mean, coming back and still on that book, yep. um, book industry thing, it, while you were running this store in Canberra, uh, you would have seen peaks and troughs. Yep. Is this worse now than anything you saw when you were running the bookshop? Oh, absolutely. It's the worst anything. Uh, and I go back to the last recession. I was working on employment and a labour market adjustment, believe it or not, in those days. And um, this is worse than that. And, and of course it is. You know, it's a pandemic. It's not a, a thing driven by bad regulators in the United States or a dumb big business that collapsed around us and caused a problem for everybody else. It's a pandemic and people have had to close. Now, the government has made it look better than it might have by JobKeeper. So there's people that got jobs that wouldn't have jobs otherwise. And that, that's a great response because it keeps money flowing through the economy and it keeps people buoyant. I mean, it, keeps, it helps with mental health. So they've done that. But in the book industry, as you say, you see peaks and troughs. You see, you know, when you've got a bestseller comes out, you're making more money. Um, you know, when, when a new bookshop opens nearby, all of a sudden things change. So we go through that. But this is something that is, un, un, you know, the word unprecedented, you can't use any other word for it, and we aren't used to it. So you see a lot of people, industry associations have really stepped up, and the, the Australian Booksellers Association has been there supplying information to their members, helping them work out orders. You know, if you're not getting books in from overseas, how do you do it? So they've, like a lot of industry associations, are working pretty closely with their members to help them through the whole the crisis, uh, help them understand what's going on, help them plan ahead as best we can, I mean, the first two months of this, everybody, it wasn't guesswork, but, you know, it was experience combined with guesswork combined with, you know, as many facts as you could find. But and, it, uh, even even in that sector, uh, you would have people who are uh, probably geared up to be able to mail stock out uh, to customers. There'd be people who don't, who, who mightn't have 
the necessary whether it's the funds or whether they have just haven't done it historically. Um, some people wouldn't be able to send stuff out. Other people would send stuff yep. out. And then you've obviously got stores like Dimex and others that are geared up to do stuff online. Even if they shut the a CBD store, they're still able to you know, sell books like these online, right? Um, yeah, like your book. It'd probably sell very well at this current time. Yeah, possibly. Uh, and the book we're referring to, uh, because it's an audio presentation, not video, is Vulture City, How Our Bankers Got Rich on Swindles, available online at the publisher's website and elsewhere. And now, in, good, <laughs> in good bookshops everywhere, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> but look, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's as I say, it's it's early on in this, Tom, it was really interesting. We, we had our members come together on... Um, on um, uh, you know a weekly roundtable, they came through with video and all these sorts of things, and it was all very good. But it, it, early on, at the beginning of the call, you could feel the tension and the uncertainty among us. And we have forty people on this call, really good, clever, experienced people, been around for a long time. The head of the master grocers, the head of the news agents, the head of the hairdressers, really know what they're doing. And we we just question each other. We'd find out what we're thinking. We'd find out what they're hearing. And we talk about the possibilities, what might happen to us, and some of it wasn't good. But by the end of the call, we're saying, okay, I'm feeling less uncertainty. You know, it's still not good. We're still unsure. But now because the group has come together, it, it, we've shared things. It's made me feel that we can start planning for a whole range of things that may or may not happen. And I, I hear other people saying the same thing. So as those calls went along, and they were weekly, you could see it just kept developing and we had government people and ministers come into the calls. We had people were busting to know what was going on and just swap notes and it was so constructive and so positive and they continue today Tom um, and again we're focusing in a different way as people are looking to the future a lot more whereas in the you know two months ago we were looking to the here and now and what was going on so it's been great to see uh, the big think tanks of industry people come together. If we move to well, I mean, obviously the small business sector is acclimatising or adjusting to the environment. That doesn't mean it's easy. Last week you would have seen the coverage of uh, the material put out by Harris Coffee, uh, the Harris Cafe report, where they spoke about the fact that cafes and coffee shops surveyed didn't really feel they could last that long without third-party assistance. Yep. And then there was a large number that thought they would um, not last any more than six months without third-party assistance. Is Are you getting that vibe through other sectors as well? Oh, we are, without a doubt. Uh, even in the book sector, they're still not sure because it's just it's been uncertain in the book industry for a long time and um, the, book, the independent bookshops have done quite well and they've come back. But because of the nature of the way things work, Amazon and all those sorts of things, there's still that uncertainty that'll rest there. Certainly um, in, the, in the pubs, the pubs are ready to come back there. You can see the confidence in them, but it's just taking too long. It depends where you are, of course. Uh, you and you, you don't want to be in Victoria. 
I was about to say what's happening in Victoria, and of course we've seen there's more cases in oh, the first uh, cases in the ACT for a long time. We're seeing the planes are going into New South Wales and people aren't being tested. So all of a sudden there's this uncertainty because none of us have been through this this uncertainty, and we've really got to watch the next few days. So. It's the employer and the employees watching. And, and coming back, what you talked before about the employer, and as you and I know, they're just people. You know, a lot of, in, in the past, it, they were just treated like a small version of a big business. And they've got families and they value their employees in the main. We all know that. It's like family. And they have their own mental health to consider. And that's what worries us. And when I talk to them, Tom, it's, and I talk, when I talk to my members who are associations, their first concern is for their members, for the mental health and the well-being and the business health of their members. But when what they say is when they talk to their members, the first thing their members talk about is their employees. The first thing. The bushfires was the same. The first concern they had was their employees' welfare. It's fascinating, isn't it? Then they started worrying about the business and worrying about their employees' job. But the first thing they worried about was their employees' welfare. That's that's an interesting observation. There's the way in which you deal with some of that welfare, of course, is to try and keep people on and try and get access to more fuel to put in the tanks so you can run a bit further. Um, there's been an announcement today from the federal government about the the, the willingness of banks to you know, extend, um, let's say, generosity. Uh, yeah. in the next little while in order to uh, give people some breathing space. Uh, how are you seeing that? Because eventually, at some point, Peter, eventually this stuff's got to get paid off. They, ha they haven't, as I understand it, agreed to forgiving loans because of a pandemic. They've just um, delayed yeah. the requirement to repay. That's right. It's it, it's putting the debt off into the future. One of the things that worried us is they're still accruing interest. And we're saying, well, you need to stop and look at that, although the interest is very low. So maybe you drop the interest a lot. So the bank, we want the banks to be you know, to be viable as well. That'd be an awful thing if they weren't. Um, so we need, you know, we're talking to them saying you need to drop the interest rate. So you don't have that pressure on you as a human being to say, well, I haven't had to repay anything for six months, but the debt's been accruing. Uh, and I don't have to you know, make up for that lack of repayments, but you know, I've certainly got a higher debt than I had before. Um, an interesting quirk, you talk about we've all got to repay and we come back to the, the national budget. An interesting quirk, I was talking to an, um, an economist who I think is very good the other day, and he was saying because interest rates are so low, like basically heading towards zero, that the the debt being accrued at the federal government level isn't as high as we would normally be used to. So even though we're borrowing you know, extraordinary amounts of money, the interest isn't going to be what we thought. So there's a bit of hope there, you know, as we look to pay it back, it's going to take a long time, but it's not beyond you know, decades and decades is something that is not going to grow out of, uh, grow the way we thought it might have into millions, billions and then trillions and then worse than that. So that was a bit of good news. I thought, I thought, because the economist is right, interest rates are really low. Um, and it's good for business that they're low as well. You've still got to pay it back. You've still got staff to worry about. You've still got your own house to worry about. You've still got your own family. And that's where 
you know, the industry associations, and I know I keep saying it, gee, they've done well. They're just supporting each other and they're supporting their employees and their, their uh, members. It's really good. How are your members coping overall with the planning for going forward? This thing hit people like a shock. Then they've just been acclimatising. How do you plan in an environment where, um, and we're seeing evidence of this now with Victoria, where you'll get a period where you might be reopening and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, doesn't matter what the reason is, they've got to put the clamps on again. And it's a good point you make about we've got to forget about the reason. It's irrelevant to what's happening, right? People can look at that in the future and that's their problem. So that... That is the, the fear we had all along was about that. Now, what I'm hearing is people, are, as I said, they're not happy. It's really upsetting. But they're turning around, doing what business people do, saying, well, I'm going to get over it one day. I've got to start doing it now. Let me, I'll go for a walk around the block or I'll get angry or I'll do whatever I do and get it out of my system and sit down with my business plan, plan for six weeks' time, keep an eye on the news in case this is going to extend even further, talk to my, the rest of my members and what my um, the rest of my you know, business community. What we're hearing is supply chain issues uh, have to be considered. So we saw early on in the um, whole event that a lot of the supply chain was snaffled by Coles and Woolworths fairly quickly. Um, they came to the party when it was explained to them how that's not helping anybody. Um, so that came under some sort of control. But, of course, we have our goods and chattels aren't coming in from overseas and the overseas market isn't there for those that used to send stuff. So people are reviewing that. Uh, tourism will take off in Australia. It'll be Australians visiting Australia um, and good on them. And they're going to have a great time. I've got People will be visiting places they should have visited years ago, Tom. And then you'll have yeah, that. But, yeah, but they're not four-letter type joints like Bali. That's the thing. No, well, no. People, yeah. people must be going to Bali because they can spell it. Well, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Why would you do that? But and, and I, someone said to me, you know, some of the country towns should say, uh, you know, we're changing our name to Bali. And when you come in, you've got to go through these customs, you know, and we're going to be just like going to Bali. You know, you're going to get all these people treat you like a king. And, you know, as you go through customs, you're going to sweat a bit because you might be a bit worried. And they're going to try to bring the whole experience that you might experience overseas in Australia, which would be, you know, if someone could pull that off, it would be hilarious and people just about pay for it. But as I said, we've got to – we'll see what we do as a society. It, it most, most people – I mean, I think you'd know this. Most people are dealing with it pretty well. We all get a bit down, but we all have a joke about it. We have a good laugh. We get angry about what's happened. We think, well, there's no use being angry any longer. We get over it. We move on. Uh, we're dealing with it as a society. Like someone told me once, their faith in human nature has been restored, Dom. And I thought, yeah, I can see that. Let's see how we go over the next six weeks in Victoria. And let's see, let's see what happens in New South Wales and the ACT if it doesn't get out of hand there. Now, the, there, there are some other issues, obviously, in um, the small business space. The federal government uh, gave some relief to uh, business overall in relation to directors and personal liability. Uh, it gave some other relief as well, including you know, limiting the scope for some people to be able to hit people with letters of demand for, for debt. Yep. 
Uh, so it went from being $2,000 up to 20000 Now, uh, as I understand it, it's still a six-month thing. I mean, has there been any talk with the government to extend that beyond six months? Look, the yeah, people have been talking to the government. We obviously have non-stop. We, you know, they've been really dealing with industry groups very well. Um, they've been open to any suggestions the public servants have, um, but they're playing it close to their chest at the moment, Tom, very close, as they should, I think. You know, they're working out which, I'm, I'm guessing, they're working out which sectors will have a JobKeeper continue on uh, and what form JobKeeper might take, and there's no use coming out too early and, and giving people the, the, the stories because then we'll start developing business plans and doing those things, and it might change. So I think there's a, and they've learned that. I mean, they did an amazing job with JobKeeper, and they all knew when it happened, as we all did, it wasn't going to be perfect or anywhere near it because, you know, it was $120 billion turned into a $60 billion project developed overnight, basically, was going to be full of warts, and this one was, but it saved the nation. So they're putting all that learning into place, like the fact that, you know, someone that worked on a Saturday morning and got 100 bucks was getting 750 bucks a week. So I don't think we'll see that happening. You know, people... and. You know, people won't complain that we all love free money, but they'll be getting, you know, what they used to get more than likely. Uh, but they've got to work it out. The tax office has been extraordinary again. I mean, people talk about the $60 billion mistake, but Treasury made that mistake. And, you know, there's a few. You've got to have mistakes, and thank God it was a mistake the right way and nobody got hurt, Tom. That's one of the great mistakes, best mistake I've ever seen because we benefited from it. But um, they're now looking, putting their minds to it. They're talking to software developers. Um, I don't know if you're aware, when they put JobKeeper together, they brought in, you know, the five or six main software operators for small business, some independent software developers to make sure that there was good due diligence there, you know, for competition purposes. And it was so quick what they put together. Well, I think it was six weeks from the decision being made to people getting paid. That, that is just an extraordinary outcome, and it was full of warts, and none of us complained. It was really, you get some people complaining, you can get over it. Um, well, you, and now, sorry? Yeah, the, the accountants that I've spoken to have said there were some issues in the way in which you dealt with the website, the ATO, and it, and it, there were various other little quirks in the system. Oh, yeah. Uh, that <laughs> meant that you, you know, small business person A, is the client of accountant B um, for tax purposes, but accountant B couldn't see the JobKeeper documentation because the JobKeeper stuff didn't go into their portal. Yeah, and, and again, you and I know, because you've been there, done that, it normally takes at least a year to sort yourself through all the things that may or may not happen. So I've, I'm, I've got to say, I'm a bit stunned it wasn't worse than that. You know, six weeks to do what would take Seriously, you and I know it's probably two years well, to do something it, like that. It, what, what the listeners don't know is you and I were on – you chaired a committee that I hung out on for a while, um, yep. uh, which was Standard one of the, Business Reporting. Standard Business Reporting Committee. And when you – every meeting there was a progress report. Every meeting there was feedback sort. Yep. Every meeting, but that, you know, that process took – an extremely long time. Oh, I was chair of that for six years. Well, go on. <laughs> That's probably where the additional grey hair came from, Peter. But, <laughs> <That's> the, <right. laughs> but 
it, it, when you looked at that process, that ASICs processes to develop, um, and this is to the regulator's credit, by the way, um, uh, the various websites, where they test all of the material, and we don't talk about this very often, um, where they try and test it with consumers. So when Peter Strong or Tom Rabling jump online and use the, use the website, there are as few glitches as possible because people have been asked to look at this stuff. Yep. Um, now, whether the JobKeeper stuff could have benefited from uh, some of that kind of road testing or stress testing um, during that short period of time is a different question. But you're right, they'll probably redo, they'll probably revisit some of that implementation of JobKeeper when the Treasurer deals with some issues later in the month, as I understand it. Yeah, it's 23rd of July, I think. I mean, it's interesting you say that because the work we did for that six years, right, on standard yeah. business reporting, um, single-touch payroll, without that we couldn't have had JobKeeper, was built upon a lot of that work. You know, yeah, and I didn't do it. Neither absolutely. We were there advising. So that work we did set us up to deal with this a lot better than we, well, nobody else had JobKeeper around the world because nobody else had single-touch payroll. But it all, it, quite frankly, it is actually a tribute to the way in which various government committees work because sometimes government does listen. Mm. Yeah, it does. Shock, it's... shock horror, uh, headlines, <laughs> hashtag government might occasionally listen. Yeah. And, and the process that takes so long is because we, the voter, demand that because if they get it wrong, we go crazy. So, you know, it's it, and, you know, nothing worse than a Senate estimates question to a public servant who hasn't got the right answer. So, you know, we live in a democracy and I think, you know, we're done good. Let's see what happens with this second wave, Tom. Let's see. Yeah. The, uh, in terms of the Corpse Act stuff, which I touched on briefly, um, how are people handling that at the moment? Are they wanting uh, the government to expand those uh those aspects of relief? Uh, well, yeah, people, well, I've got to say, to be perfectly frank, we're still sitting down looking at the best way to do it because there are unintended consequences or, you know, people benefiting from it or, as we're seeing, there's people coming out now. It's been around long enough to start trying to rot the system. So we're seeing the accountants and the bookkeepers sitting down with with us and with, you know, small business associations saying what's the best way forward. The government, as I say, they're putting their mind to it. I don't have a lot more information than than that. And that, as I say, when you, you know, you come from the accounting and bookkeeping area, you know it, and they keep looking, and the bookkeepers and accountants are so different from each other, I might add, but they're looking at what are the unintended consequences? What does this mean for zombie firms? What does it mean for businesses that really should be closing for their own personal sake so they can reopen again? They should be closing now. What does it mean? You know, and as we get more and more information, those very clever associations are starting to make decisions and they're behind closed doors working with government. And, you know, um, we've been behind closed doors on a couple of things on workplace relations. And it's something, you know, you just have that agreement. You don't talk about it because it makes no sense to talk about something until you've got some hard facts or decisions to be released. I, I, yeah, I think it, it what um, it's important for the listeners to understand is that you know, what Peter's referring to 
is the the way in which you conduct advocacy and how you get outcomes. Now, I was a part of that world for 12 years uh, in two, two, organized, two organizations. Uh, the best work that you do as an advocate oftentimes is when you can get an outcome without it being seen in the press. Well, correct. You know, if you if you're looking at it, if you're looking at it that way, um, it seems odd, given that I'm sitting on the other side of the fence again after after 12 years of doing that work. But the best outcome in advocacy is when you can achieve um, something without rattling the cage publicly, because. It, it means there was a consensus that was able to be agreed. Now, that doesn't mean you'll get 100% of what you want, does it, Peter? Oh, you never get 100% of what you want. And that's really interesting, Tom, isn't it? You, say you and I were fighting for something, right? We're desperate for it to be whatever it is. Now, we're not going to get all of it. But when we get a lot of it, it's up to us to say thank you and to praise it if that's what needs to be done. Because going back 30 years when I was in the public service a long time ago now, you develop a fabulous policy, you'd bust a gut, you'd do things that had never been done before and some of the associations would come out and say, not good enough, that's rubbish. And you think, what? You, you, that's crazy. So I think a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of us have learnt now, this is good. Praise it. Say we want more. Say we need to review this in a year's time. Say what needs to be happening. But be professional about it and give the politicians or the public servants the acknowledgement of doing something that's special, which means when they don't, you can give them a hammering too. Yeah, it's true. But also if you – and we're talking gameplay here, aren't we? Because if you sit back and then you say, um, let's, yeah, let's hold back on commentary, negotiate, and make sure that we get the point across behind closed doors. If you come out too early, you've actually um, fired, you know, fired all of your bullets because nobody's going to give you two or three bites of the cherry if you come out publicly and bag someone midstream. You've got to. Uh, yep. A good example. You want an example of that? Oh, it's, why not? <laughs> yeah, un unfair contract terms, right? That that's been around. Four years now, I think, when we had that win. Um, and Bruce Bilson was a minister then. He was very good. And the initial announcement was unfair contract terms would be applied for small businesses in contracts up to $100,000. And the initial reaction behind closed doors, we went, this, you know, that's not enough money. That doesn't really cover anything of value when it comes to a contract. And I remember sitting there thinking, uh, that's right, that's too low, but what a change. Like, we, you know, Bruce had to bring all the states together to agree on a change, and he did it. And I said, let's get the change, and then we'll get the, the threshold lifted. And so, and, and we had to, a few people were going to go out and give, as a matter of fact, one bloke did, what was his name? Ken Phillips went out and hammered Bilson, I don't know, yeah, typical, but anyone. So, and I thought, that what, what's the use of that? We have a change that has never been there. The, the threshold's too low, but we've got to change. Now, within two weeks of that, Tom, the Greens and the National Party said, we want the threshold to be higher. And they pushed a higher threshold through, uh, 300,000, still too low, but a lot more, a lot better than 100. And they pushed that through. So it was two weeks later. And Bruce Bilson, you know, it was great what he did. He gave us the opportunity to have that happen. Now I might have, we're pushing for a $2 billion threshold, and I expect we'll get it.
but that, that in, in a sense, this is a bit of an education for those listening uh, to what we're talking about, because they don't normally that's not seen by people uh, outside of specific circles. Yeah, um, and that, that that is the that I guess it's important that people understand that you know, governments aren't always evil. <laughs> no, they're not, they're, and they've got. Yeah, I mean, in the in the middle of all that, they had big business reps walking in their doors. So small business doesn't have a lot of uh, reps, just by the nature of we don't have a lot of money. So for every time you or I'd visit someone, there'd be 10, 10 people from the the other side of our policy needs. They'd visit, and they got a lot more money than you and I. So it's about um, yeah, continuing to do those things. Um, and I, I like to be transparent and let people know what happened as well. And what that means is if something good's happened and you tell people, then the minister gets the credit for it. And they love a bit of credit, don't they? Uh, and also oh, means okay. if they don't, you hammer them. <laughs> but, but you've got to keep your powder dry until yep. you get to the point where um, you cannot go any further with the private negotiation. And that, that, that's, that's the trick in all of this. You need to know what you need to know which cards to play at at, at different points to get uh, to get some things achieved. Uh, Peter, before we wrap up, are there any other policy areas at the moment that you're focusing on with Cosboa? Oh well, I mentioned workplace relations before. It's the big one. What, what, what we're what we're looking at, Tom, is we're saying, okay, we've learned a lot of lessons here. Let's make sure we're ready for the next pandemic, or you know, a big second wave of this one. And that is just what you have to do now. We've learned that the next pandemic could be a lot more lethal than COVID, but just as contagious. So what systems work for us? What worked and what didn't? What do we need to change? And we know that with workplace relations, they spent six or eight weeks negotiating what in the end were minor changes. So let's get those changes in now. They're obviously necessary. Let's get rid of the complexity associated with that, which is bad for small business and bad for their employees. That's one area. Let's review competition policy to make sure our society, our, our economy is ready to deal with uh, the next pandemic. So, for example, one of the great wins uh, against ideologues in competition was we had pharmacies in the suburbs. Now, if some people got their way, we wouldn't have had pharmacies in the suburbs. They'd all be inside great big shopping centres and inside the supermarkets. And that would have been a horrendous outcome. There would have been a lot more deaths because people would have had to go and congregate as a large group to get their medicine. So let's have a look at our society and make sure our competition policy is pandemic proof. Is there anything you're concerned about in terms of the corporations law and the way in which that part of the legal framework works? Uh, look, the only concern is we make sure that the people that understand small business are involved in the changes that will come, and they will come. Uh, the introduction of the director identification number is a real game changer as well. Uh, and I know it's an extra bit of red tape, but gee, it's going to get rid of Phoenix firms, and it's going to make a lot of things a lot easier for people that are starting a business and changing the structures or whatever, is you can see that there's one person going through that process, and that person's Ridgy Didge. So, again, we've got to watch that space. There's certainly motivation at the moment to reflect reality, Tom. We want to make sure that the ideologues of the past who, you know, I don't like laissez-faire economists. Everybody knows that. The, the thought that you close your eyes and 10 years' time when you open them again, everything, the world's going to be a wonderful place has been proven wrong time and time again. So, as a matter of fact, 
people say, let the market decide, and I say, you're a fool. We say, let's make sure the market can decide. That's the outcome we want, proper competition. And if you just build a boxing ring and watch what people do, that, that's, not, that's not good government. So let's watch that space. You've, you've mentioned one of my favourite issues, which is the director identification number. Um, and I'll test you on that one just briefly. Yes, it does solve a series of things. The person that is registered is legitimate, but that doesn't mean that there won't be someone uh, pulling the strings, does it? Well, that, that's that's the, that's where we still it still hasn't been implemented, and we still have lots of meetings about it as we're looking for how do you how do you manage this? Interesting, you talk about it e-invoicing and standard business reporting and developing that certainty is a way of hopefully getting around those things. And the other thing, let's implement it when when we're comfortable with it. Then you review it in a year and two years time and find out what's not working and fix it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a standard method, you know, kick the tyres yep. uh, at a point in time, a sunset clause in legislation, get it reviewed and then move on. Uh, Peter, it's been great talking to you again on a range of issues that we've both, um, uh, both rather passionate about. That's um, been awesome. It's been awesome, Tom. It's been, it's been fun. We'll do it again soon. Good. But the... Where would people find the information that you have on COSBOA and what COSBOA is doing? Because you do annual conferences and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah, if you get well, obviously the website COSBOA.org.au, so that's C O S B O A.org.au, and across the top you'll see a range of things. But one of the things you'll see there is something called publications and another one called COVID 19. Now, when you go into the COVID 19 tag or tab, you'll see a lot of communiques that have come after every one of our weekly meetings. We've done a communique and it gives you a feel for what's been happening as we've been talking among our members and where we've been heading. And we've got information there as well about what we think is the best way out of or best way forward as we come out of COVID or we learn to deal with it. Um, so on the website and there's pictures of me on there too, Tom, which I think is important. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Peter, thank you so much for your time and no doubt we'll talk again soon and thank you Tom, that's awesome